You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode number 259, Thomas Hendricks. Jason, I was thinking earlier tonight we should do a podcast about the most boring vice president in history. And uh, there I was racking my brain, and here it, here it comes, Thomas Hendricks. Oh, I don't know if that's really true. I just, uh, you know, you, you read about some people and you think, what an amazing life they had. And then you read about other people and you're like, meh, kind of, you know, probably still a great life, but just nothing fancy happens. <laughs> well, we're talking about him like a hundred and something years after he died. I suppose that's true. I mean, if somebody's talking about me a hundred and something years after I die, that's pretty impressive. I have to agree with you. Well, before we talk about him dying, we should probably talk about him living. He was born. <laughs> oh, Ben, in that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in September of 1819 in Ohio, uh, near Zanesville, which we know where Zanesville is, Jason. You, at least you and I do. I don't know about the whole rest of the audience. That's. Like halfway between where you and I live. I know. We should go to his house sometime. Yeah. It's probably not there. And he was the second of eight children who, uh, from John and Jane, who were originally from Pennsylvania. And in 1820, about a year after, a little less than a year after Hendricks is born, they move to Jefferson County, Indiana. And... Thomas's uncle, William Hendricks, is a successful politician who serves as a U.S. representative, a U.S. senator, and the third governor of Indiana. And remember all those things, folks. Hey, Ben. Uh-huh. Um, Madison? Yeah. Indiana? Yeah. You need, we need to take you there sometime. It's a really, really cool town. Nice. It's on the river. What's cool about it? It's... Just preserved in time. So it's one of those cities that is, it's not necessarily in the Louisville metropolitan area. It's not necessarily in the Cincinnati metropolitan area. So it has its own identity and it's a really cool town. It has the main street that's thriving and has all of the businesses that you could ever want and the, it's just really cool. Nice. We'll have to take a road trip sometime. Definitely. It's one of the first places that uh, we went to. Actually, when we told our family that we were pregnant. Oh, well, cool. that my wife was pregnant. We, yeah, we got in the car, went to Madison, enjoyed a day. There's a <laughs> state park there called Clifty Falls, which sounds really... <laughs> It sounds kind of cheesy, but it's really cool. Yeah. And and then shortly after we had our the baby, uh, we went down there and enjoyed a day. It's a great place to get ice cream and best Reuben I've ever had. Madison. Oh, Indiana. wow. Yeah. That's the impressive. best. Now I have to go. I have to go just for the Reuben. Yeah. 
but it's in a really pretty setting. Cool. Sorry. It's all right. I it, thought that that's good color commentary. If I you're like gonna that. say that a guy's life is boring, <laughs> <laughs> then I've got to add some color, right? Well, hey, if he if he was living there and now it's exciting, maybe it's because of him. There's probably some Hendrix uh, legacy there. It's entirely possible. So anyway, they settle down on a farm near his uncle's house, and in 1822. His father is a successful farmer. He operates a general store. He gets involved in politics. And, uh, oh, yeah, he gets appointed as the deputy surveyor of public lands by President Andrew Jackson. So, dad is kind of a, all, all of a sudden a p- politician. Yeah. And, you know, Hendrix, he's doing his thing. He goes to some public schools. And he graduates from Hanover College uh, there in Hanover, Indiana, in 1841. A little plug for Hanover. Really cool place right along <laughs> the river. And actually, like one of their most famous alumni is um, Woody Harrelson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So after he graduates from Hanover, he reads law there in Shelbyville, Indiana. And a couple of years later, he goes off to Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and does a law course. And then just a plug for Chambersburg. Oh my goodness, they have a lot of new stuff off that exit, off I-81, if you've ever wanted to go. Some good pizza, yeah. actually, off that exit. <laughs> this is like, I'm, I'm feeling this affinity for Thomas Hendricks. Here you're saying his life is boring, but I'm finding my path is crossing his geographically well maybe that maybe that says something about your life oh well after (laughs) probably after he spends some time there in chambersburg and probably has some pizza he goes back to indiana no he probably doesn't have pizza there uh he goes back and was admitted to the bar in 1843 and establishes a practice in shelbyville in 1845 he marries eliza carol morgan who's from North Bend, Ohio, and after they'd been dating for about two years. They met whenever Eliza was visiting her sister, and uh, that's kind of how it went. The couple's only child was named Morgan and passed away at the age of three after being born in 19, I'm sorry, 1848. So Thomas and Eliza moved to Indianapolis in 1860 and lived there for quite some time. You could still see one of the houses that they lived in, uh, if you go to South Jersey Street in Indianapolis. Yeah. Hey, hey, Ben. Yeah. North Bend, Ohio. You know what's there. I do. It's pretty crazy because you think about it, Harrison, you know, William Henry Harrison's buried there, but Benjamin uh-huh. Harrison, you know, he was brought up there and he lived in Indianapolis too. It's a small world, really. It is a small world. So Hendrix stays pretty active in the the legal community and he stays pretty active in uh, politics for most of his life but in 1848 is when he starts it all and he serves a one-year term in the house of representatives for indiana and he's also one of the two delegates to the 1850 1851 indiana constitutional convention which you know is kind of a big deal in 1851 he is elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. And get this, Ben, 
here he is. He's from Indiana, but of course he's a Democrat. He's supporting the whole deal of popular sovereignty. And you know what that means? That's like any territory gets to decide if they want to be a slave territory or not. So he votes in favor of the Kansas Nebraska act of 1854 that expands slavery into the Western territories. And the people in Indiana are saying to themselves, Oh my goodness, why did we vote this guy in? He doesn't share our values and he loses his reelection bid in 1854. In 1855, President Franklin Pierce was like, huh, hey, Hendricks, would you like to be the commissioner of the General Land Office in Washington, D.C.? And uh, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll go for that. <laughs> and so his job is to supervise 180 clerks and, well, a, a large backlog of work, about four years of backlog. And, of course, you know, this is the time when lots of expansion is happening in the United States, and that means that there's lots and lots of land sales and deeds and things like that to record and coming through that office. So during the time he was employed there, they issue over 400,000 land patents. They settle over 20,000 disputed land cases, and he makes like a billion decisions, probably more like thousands, but a lots of decisions about the disputed land claims and things like that. And really only got reversed, uh, only a few got reversed in court. So, you know, he did a pretty fair and decent job. Yeah. With Pierce leaving office, Buchanan comes in, Hendricks is like, eh, hey, Mr. Buchanan, I don't really care for you very much. So what do you do after you decide that you can't get along with President James Buchanan? You go back to Indiana and you run for governor a lot of times. <laughs> he runs a couple of times, loses, and then gets um, appointed as the senator or elected as a senator. It's kind of an appointment election thing, right? Back then. Yeah. Uh, he represents Indiana in the U.S. Senate from 1863 to 1869. And here he is. He's a Democrat in the U.S. Senate during the Civil War. Well, that wasn't a very popular thing to be, but he um, was one of those guys who voted against the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. But, you know, there he was. That's right. There he was. <laughs> Uh, so like Jason mentioned, he runs for governor a few different times. He loses a couple different times until 1872 rolls around on his third campaign. He wins by a very incredibly narrow margin, just about 1,200 votes or a little less than that. He continues to have an active law practice and does so until he is elected to represent Indiana in the U.S. Senate in 1863. And, of course, it goes through lots of different changes as names and stuff like that. But when he does take that office, he's no longer part of that firm. He represents Indiana during the final years of the American Civil War and part of the Reconstruction Era as well. And, like Jason said, that's not a terribly popular place to be a senator from during that time. During that time, he is a leader of the Democratic minority and also a member of the opposition and uh, pretty much 
very often overruled and doesn't get to speak his piece very often, I guess you could say. Very lonely place. (laughs) Hey, do you want to talk a little bit about his governorship? Because it's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. He finally gets to the governor's seat or chair. What is that called? Governor's something. I was thinking like the physical chair. Yeah, yeah sure. That works. He's he's sitting yeah. there. He's governor now in 1872. Well, actually 1873. He was elected in 1872. Um, and the biggest thing that he does, in my opinion, is he's largely responsible for the construction of or beginning the plans for construction of a new state house there in Indianapolis. And if you look at the cornerstone, um, when it was laid, he delivered the keynote speech and there's a big old statue of him. So if you're from Indianapolis, he's kind of important to you. I'm not from Indianapolis, so. What are you trying to say, Jason? I'm just saying I'm learning a lot about a guy who lived all around me. Yeah, that's true. So Hendricks runs for vice president in 1876 and then again in 1884. He doesn't win in 1876. He's the Democratic candidate along with uh, Samuel Tilden running for the presidency. Uh, he doesn't actually end up going to the Democratic convention. But basically the party's like, yeah, we're pretty much going to try to carry the the South along with the New York and Indiana states. So we're going to nominate him regardless. <laughs> uh, so, of course, this is the election where they get the majority of the popular votes, but they do lose the election by one vote in the Electoral College. We've talked about that, and we would encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes again in 18. 18- 84, though, on the other hand, he does pull through and win along with Grover Cleveland's and becomes vice president in 1885. Uh, He'd been kind of sickly for a few years, and he serves as vice president from his inauguration until his death eight months later in November of 1885. And basically, Grover Cleveland doesn't pull somebody else in for the vice presidency for the rest of his term. Yeah. Gee whiz. Man, how many vice presidents in the 1800s died? Oh, yeah. There were quite a few. Good night. And, and the great, I mean, you know, he's he's going home to Indianapolis for a little trip for probably for like Thanksgiving or something for the break. And he says, hey, I'm not feeling real great. And then he goes to bed and passes away. That That was it. Oh, man. All of our episodes end in them dying. Well, that's true. We should really... If you could figure out a way... No, not the not the part one episodes. If we do two episodes on a person, it's only one episode ends with them dying. Yeah. That's true. That's, that's a good point. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, something cool about Thomas Hendricks. He uh, is the only vice president who didn't serve as president whose portrait appeared on paper currency. Um, An engraved portrait of Hendrix appears on the $10 silver certificate from 1886. Um, Speaking of death, (laughs) the currency's note is, um, it's called the tombstone. 
silver certificate because the border around his picture is tombstone shaped. Yeah. Good night. Crazy stuff. I keep on saying good night. Good night. Uh, good night. Good night to all of you as you, uh, you know, you're just listening to the podcast and you're like, what should I do now? Oh, I know. How about I leave Election College a review on iTunes? That'd be great. Yeah. And while you're there on the internet doing your thing, um, do people still play Candy Crush? You might be doing that. I don't. I think so somehow, but I don't know about Man, it. Man, what happened to Farmville? I think it's probably still around, Is too. It? There's still people just funneling money into it. I have never played Farmville or Candy Crush. Can you believe that? Don't bother. Okay. Um, but while you're doing that, you can pause the game. I think you can probably pause the game. Maybe. Go over and uh, interact with us there on Facebook, if that's what you do. If you're on Twitter, you can interact with us yeah. there, too. And if you're on Instagram, um, yeah, you can interact with us there, too. We're at Election College on all three of those <laughs> social media sites. You can even just shout into the void, and we might hear you. Probably. Yeah. But don't invite <laughs> us to play Candy Crush, please. No, please don't do that. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.